0: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by former footballer, turned lawyer, Garrett Farrelly, to reflect on his incredible journey today. Garrett, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks a million, Connor. It's a ple- pleasure to see you.
0: Garrett, as we begin with everyone and you're no different, what was your earliest football memory?
1: Oh God, early <laughs> football memory. No preparation for the questions tonight, Connor. Kind of, it's kind of weird for me because I think footballing memories are are quite strange because you you'll know it was a mixture of football and Gaelic games, so it was it was never really a separation between those for quite a while. So, in kind of breaking it down, specific football memory, I think some of my best times were when I was playing football as a as a child, no pressure, just enjoying the game. So if you want to specify a date with regards to footballing memories I always feel bad sometimes on these podcasts because people ask me questions that there's some questions you know generic answers not generic answers per se but you can have a a very detailed answer or like here's one I prepared earlier whereas god earliest memories I think I'm I'm struggling to remember what I did yesterday never mind Mm. early footballing memories now
0: no, you can always lay the blame on the interviewer, though, with these things, you know, if you want better answers. No, 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 I like, I, like, I like the
1: interviewers who <laughs> have uh, done a little bit of research in advance, but footballing memories, God, it's, it's a hard one, earliest. Dif- difficult, really, because as you say, it wasn't just limited to football as in as in kind of soccer, as people would see that. I think we were quite fortunate growing up that we would have played all sorts, and then football only really started to take on a serious note, kind of 13, 14.
0: Right. And I suppose that's when goal setting would have came into right? You would have been a lot more aware of your ability then to probably play the game at a higher level.
1: Yeah, but it's quite funny because in my case, sometimes you look at the game now and it's incredibly pressurized, mm-hmm. right? And I think for me, I, I kind of found my way. I played schoolboy football locally, which was just with a team where I lived. So there was no mad traveling. There was no, none of that. You trained and played locally. Whereas when I got to under 13 I kind of made the decision myself that I wanted to go and play for home farm because they played in a higher league and like that was kind of where there was kind of tradition already with regards to players that had gone on and to do really really well Ronnie Whelan for example people like that and I made that decision and it's quite funny now Connor because I actually said to my my dad at the time it was like I want to go Own Farm have a trial in Moby Road. On Tuesday, I want to go. I went to the trial. I obviously did very, very well. I knew so little about how football worked. At the end of it, I was like, do you think they'll have me? Whereas immediately they were like, we'd love you to come and play for us. So that was kind of first step, which was under 13, under 14, you know, kind of Kennedy Cup. And then you moved on to kind of next goal was the underage, kind of international squads. So that was kind of the development. It kind of mapped itself out. I wouldn't say there was overly specific goal setting per se, but it was kind of a new kind of what I wanted to do.
0: I don't doubt that there wasn't, or that there was pressure on yourself back then too. But if you look at it nowadays, Gareth, you look at it though as almost rose-tinted glasses in a way with, 17, 18-year-olds making their Premier League debuts. And it's almost a relief as opposed to a reward for years of, you know, years of coming through the system, years of development and whatnot. Where I'm trying to go with this, I mean, would you look back at your playing career and reflect more fondly on the earlier days when you were just playing for fun, playing for joy, or when you got, let's say, into the system playing professional football?
1: No, I think, God, definitely... I'm sure even lots of people you will speak to, I'd be interested to see what the the balance or breakdown is of who would say it's fun. I think it stops becoming fun very, very quickly. And I think possibly you have to try and enjoy it as much as you can whilst recognising the system and trying to maintain some level of balance within that. And -hmm. I think that's what's lost now because the game has moved on so quickly. So again, I'm talking about in many ways now for people a bygone time people, there's people out there don't believe that football existed before 1992 when the Premier League started, equally regards to youth development, what youth development looked like then, as opposed to what it looks like now is very, very different, but you talk about 17 or 18-year-olds breaking through, which is obviously incredible, people that may have been in a club environment from nine years of age, younger in some cases, but there's also another element to that, which becomes, nowadays, a career can be six games, whereas when I played, and it's not like woe be me to bygone times again, but the point is that careers were um, counted with regards to years, so obviously it's so lucrative and there's so many rewards there now that you may have a situation where a player will um, benefit financially on a huge level without actually ever playing football and when i say playing football what you mean is the the perceived route of going through a youth team developing through the reserves or the under 23 team and then actually breaking into the first team but becoming regular within that first team so i think the game has changed hugely with regards to that and i think for me as you know my life has moved on and i'm sure we'll talk about that in more detail but the point is that i give some consideration to that and i'm always really really uh, keen to continue to keep my eye in with regards to best practice, with regards to how the game is evolving, but it's a wholly different kind of situation to what I came through at that time.
0: And we're reflecting on a by- bygone era, so to speak, Gareth. But I mean, did you have any? I mean, did you have any support mechanisms? Did you have anyone to lean on at the time? Did you have any processes yourself to sense make of? You know, an 18, 19, 20 year old playing Premier League football going through the rigors and the emotional roller coaster of that.
1: Absolutely not. And even when you say those words now, terminology may have been different back then, but those those things didn't exist. But equally with regards to those structures now, we all live or die by the quality of the people we have around us. Mm. And football is an incredibly parasitic industry. So you have to be incredible with that, incredibly careful with that. And are the things you can kind of see now sense check and be aware of and have you know <clears throat> a unique perspective on based on what your own experiences were that's the external element and that's before you start to deal with internally which is ego dressing rooms insecurities challenges relationship with players relationships with coaches relationships with managers it's uh as i said earlier it's like it it brings a host of different challenges that until kind of you're exposed to that or immersed in that world irrespective of what somebody tells you you kind of have to find your own way and, and and that comes back to the point again is that as you get older even if you look to give certain people what you perceive to be good advice there's always a question as to whether that particular individual is ready for that because part of the gift and the course, if you like is the fact that Certain attributes that have helped them elevate themselves to that level can also be incredibly destructive. So it's fascinating, Connor. The game, the game is fascinating to me. I still love the game. I love the game, but I don't love everything else around it.
0: Yeah, it's like who said that quote? Actually, Gerritz? It Was last year? Or was the year before? Someone said, Gerritz "I
1: love." Southgate mentioned something similar. Yeah.
0: yeah, I hate the industry. At one point. But I love the
1: game. Yeah, so I think there's certain people within it, and obviously certain people kind of within my peer group or people that I would respect would probably share that similar philosophy. I'm sure people we know, you know what I mean, would would share a, a similar philosophy. Of course, I just find
0: this, I find it enlightening, and something which I've been thinking about a lot recently too, Garickle. I mean, are the challenges in which footballers face nowadays are they similar to the historical ones which were always faced? kind of amplified by social media and, you know, popularized by by media nowadays, or are we just in a totally different, unique area?
1: Well, I think a lot of the questions you asked there are relative to society as a whole, aren't they? So in some ways, football, sport is a microcosm of that society. So there are different challenges now. Social media, you mentioned, is an incredible challenging environment for anybody to navigate. We didn't have that per se, But there were different challenges and again a lot of that is dependent on the level you're playing at the pressure that comes with that and the expectation you put on yourself so again i think maturity plays a big part in that and having certain the right people around you like i always speak to people now is that my personality was i was a perfectionist i still am to some degree but i'm probably a little bit gentler with myself now if i if i play the game and nine people came up to me after the game and said, You did really well. And one person came up and said, I was shit. That was the person I went home with. So it's only as you get a bit older and a bit more mature and a bit more secure that you start to actually relax. And that's, that's again one of the challenges because football is indiscriminate. It goes so quickly, you blink and your career is gone. I don't, mm. I don't harbor or carry regrets with regards to my career. But it's, it's, it's like when you do these podcasts is that I would speak to a young Gareth Farrelly slightly differently now to the decisions I would have made at critical times. Speak
0: about critical times, if you don't mind, Gareth, could you open up to everyone about the day in which your life was turned upside down, so to speak, from a fucking point of view? Well, not only from a footprint point of view, but from a life point of view as well.
1: You, you mean my illness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, speaking to something about it recently, it'll be 15 years next year. So when you, when you think about time and you think about time as a gift, I was playing at Cork City at the time and I, I was back in the UK um, for some treatment on a knee injury. And I, it was my daughter's birthday. It was her fourth birthday. And I was traveling down south to see a, a physio and I took ill in, in, in my car. So again, not like amateur doctor half hour, but... I'd had a healthy pitta for my lunch and it wasn't the reaction I would have expected from a healthy pitta, but I started to feel ill and I had to pull over to the hard shoulder on the motorway and I basically got out of the car and started vomiting blood. So uh, first part of that story, Conor, is that I am incredibly grateful to the NHS. So the NHS, obviously the health system within the UK, I'm only sat here tonight speaking to you because of, the care and skill and love of the people I met at the time but that kind of set me on a course that I was ambulance transferred into hospital I dealt with a gastroenterologist who was on call once a month uh Dr Sherman who was it was incredible I had an endoscopy I didn't vomit blood again but I was passing blood for that evening they were able to Carry out an endoscopy and identify that there was something in my stomach that turned out to be an aneurysm of the splenic artery. So, in going back to your research, obviously, Wikipedia, there's all sorts of different stories around what, what was the illness, what was the cause, what was the problem, but fundamentally, that was it. So, they were able to identify that I I'd had an aneurysm and they then transferred me across to Walsgrave Hospital in Coventry, where again, I met an incredible surgeon who scanned me, said, there's something in your stomach, we need to get it out, but then returned with another surgeon to say, we need to, we need to do it now. So I had emergency surgery. Certain organs had acted as a tourniquet with regards to the aneurysm, which uh, incredibly gave the medical people an opportunity to identify where the aneurysm was and then be able to fix it. So thankfully they were able to do that as opposed to the aneurysm I had had a 90% mortality rate. So again, it kind of it, it shifts your perspective a little bit. So I had in theory, a nine months recovery. I had three days in intensive care. I had blood transfusions. My temperature wouldn't regulate. I had certain side effects and I left hospital after three weeks and probably lost 21 pounds during the time in hospital and did what all athletes do connor turned around and said first question to the surgeon was "Can, can i play football again so i'd made all my mistakes in my 20s connor this comes back to reflecting a little bit you know that i just wanted to play football for that love of the game again you know stress i walked out of the premier league at 28 when i fell out with Sam Allardyce, I took a player manager's job and you'll know from managing you, you take on a project like that with strong values and a desire to do well, but sometimes you're not in the right environment for that to happen. That became an incredibly challenging time, but equally uh, I'd never learned so much in such a period of time. So after my illness, my, my sole objective was just to play, return to fitness, which I did do. And return to playing with men, if you like, to return to a high level. <clears throat> and I did that, but I realised that I wasn't going to play in the Premier League or the Championship again. So that was when I started to think about what, what am I going to do next? Football is such a small part of your life. The average is eight years. What, what are you going to do? And I've spoken about this quite a lot, Conor, that I had a situation where I had tax authorities at my home looking for a debt that I knew nothing about. And that was kind of what steered me towards developing an understanding of what had happened with regards to <clears throat> my financial affairs whilst I was a player. So kind of you'll hear words and you, you know, people will talk in detail about transition and the challenges that athletes, not just footballers can face when they you know, end one career and then have to give some contemplation and thought to what they're going to do next. I see Brian O'Driscoll did a program on it recently as well at home about it. You know what I mean? I haven't seen the program yet but I read some of the interviews in the press around it and there's quite a, a crossover and similarity between the experiences of athletes that one day you're something. In theory, your identity is defined as rugby player, athlete, footballer, and then that can be a Sunday and then on the Monday you aren't those things anymore. You're, you're just, you, you become somebody who did something once. And there's always a small percentage of elite players that will maintain that persona or profile, but that's not the case for the majority. So it can uh, it can cause really really big challenges for people. So uh, for me, everybody then started to go, "Oh, you're, you're going to be a sports lawyer, guys. You've sports laws, a natural progression." You did. Whereas for me. I wanted to try and understand what had happened whilst I was a player with regards to agents with regards to financial advisors and develop an understanding of how I'd been supposedly looked after by people that occupied positions of trust and how that wasn't the case so <clears throat> you 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 know you studied law the different elements around that. I had different experiences trying to get onto that kind of path, some good, some bad, but I was really, really fortunate with the people I met because. They were very, very encouraging and positive and kind of having spent 16 years outside of education, it was kind of a massive challenge for me.
0: You know what? It's far removed from the notion of what most people get when they speak about sports people or football players' retirements, having a big testimonial, setting sail off into the sunset. And in reality, it's a lot more gory. And you have to give credit to yourself, too, because in... On reflection, I mean, the easiest choice, contrary to popular belief, would have been to put on the blinkers, be uh, ambivious to it all and get back playing. But, uh, you know, you took the tough route out to get out of there to reflect on what had happened and make some sense of it.
1: Yeah, but there's always a – it's like a mistake, isn't it? Or it's like there's always a number of, you know, incidents that determine that. So for me, Mm -hmm. like I'd said – it was easier for me. I was at Morecambe at the time on non-contract and Morecambe were traveling to Exeter where I may have been in the squad, may have played 10 minutes. It was a six-hour coach journey there, a six-hour coach journey back. And I think, again, as with players, my priorities had shifted. I didn't want to leave my family. So it was quite funny because the following week I went in to see the manager, Sammy McIlroy, at the time. And I think the football expectation was I was going in to say to him, why am I not playing? I'm better than such and such. Give me a go. Whereas what I was going to tell him was, listen, I've just received my letter for a university that starts on the 26th. This is going to be my last week. Thanks for everything. So again, having gone through that experience now, as have a lot of my friends and peers, you can kind of identify those fears in people, you know, the insecurity, the fear of what comes next like not everybody has that mapped out nor, nor nor should they because rightly in most cases people are focusing on on their career and their focus on on maximizing that career but transition retirement comes for us all in that context so the only point I'm making is I think Connor I was quite lucky because while some people you know will hang on or some people are really really apprehensive about that you know for me the decision was an easier one in that respect that having been through what i had been through i knew there was going to be question marks about me i was only i was only 32 so those questions were never going to go away medical staff doctors nurses whoever i went to see would look at my medical and they would be like the first question they would say to me was god you're lucky to be here aren't you so there's quite a challenge in dealing with that because at the time you don't think you're lucky but having got back to football, your first thought is, well, I just want to play. Just give me a chance to play. And and I, and I got back to a level of fitness where I was probably as fit as I had ever been. But my path was different. My path was different. And as I say, even within that kind of, you know how challenging the law can be, right? That I liked it. So again, you go back to something as simple as the generic routes that are traveled, which rightly so, manager, coach, pundit. You know, different, different roles now and there's so many more roles available but for me it was like in liking something and developing an interest and <clears throat> awakening a desire for learning I think once you start on that particular journey that kind of never stops and there's always you're always looking for something that next challenge that will will stimulate you or take you to another level again and that's where I feel I've been really really lucky so don't get me wrong. Conor, of days, sat in an office where you're thinking, "Where did it all go wrong?" or "Where did it all go right?" But I think the overriding position would be one that I'm very, very fortunate that I kind of enjoy parts of parts of the job and what I do now.
0: It's all good to speculate and speak about what ifs, but to obtain the growth that you got from being on the journey, you've been exposed to. Do you think you needed to go through that trauma? Or was there stuff you believe you could have done in hindsight, little processes, habits, procedures you could have inbuilt throughout your career to have had possibly some desired effect? I
1: think we all suffer trauma, Connor. We all suffer trauma at different times and we all have different experiences and and, and everybody has those and some, some wear them as scars and some you don't find out about them until a lot later. I think football, again, is very, very cliched with regards to, you know, words and teams and all of this but it's it's probably one of the most individual team sports you'll ever play so the question comes back down to how well do you really know anybody you, you look at successful teams which are slightly different but i don't look back you know i think i'm quite fortunate i i don't i don't look i don't look back on those things as a woe well, be me or i wish this or i wish that i think a lot of that as well comes down to you know your individual character Right. But also how much of your identity was associated with what you did before. There were certain parts of football that I could never figure out and I, and I still can't. So I don't miss those elements. As I said, with regards to my personality, I didn't need a crowd honor. I didn't need a crowd to be there in searching to play the perfect game and not give the ball away and create chances and shoot. I, I could have played in the stadium with nobody there. So that wasn't a driver for me it was always kind of about the game so there was periods in my career where you have those um like you talk about presence but like people will call it the zone or whatever you want to call it but you have those periods in your career where you're at your you're at your best but for me given the, my personality i never understood distraction i never understood that you didn't have to be perfect every time and then starting from a negative Mindset, as opposed to a positive one looking back now that's where there were gaps and that's why with regards to my career I look at the incredible talent I had I I I would have ticked the boxes with regards to achieving everything people set out to do at the start but I didn't fulfill my, my 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 talent or my potential I did on occasion but not not consistently where I should have got to
0: and does that still eat away at
1: you no not at all because i i understand it now i didn't understand it then
0: right but then i mean you look at nowadays i mean you qualified as a solicitor in 2018 i heard you in a previous podcast speak about it before if you don't mind me bring up the quote you said the law appealed to you as you wanted to learn how to think and have clarity of thought can you elaborate upon that
1: yeah 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 because you see well we all have opinions don't we but sometimes those opinions aren't informed they're not objective they're based on our own experiences so i think the law gives you that ability to look at a particular incident fact story and look to disseminate it and look to question it look to build your argument yourself and there's also an adversarial element to that so It's contradictory in some ways because you go from being at the peak of your craft, if you like, as a professional footballer, international footballer, and everybody thinks you're living the Vida Loca, but then you step into a whole new world where you're at the bottom of the ladder. And it's not like football where you can just arrive and explode on the scene. The law is totally different because it's like that journey of building knowledge starts at the earliest period and people increase their knowledge and their value the longer they do something so their trajectory is totally different so again you have to kind of park your ego if you like and recognize what you don't know so I would think that the law has given me something special with regards to that because the ability to think is not just well hang on I did something once so that means my opinion immediately carries some weight or credibility I think there has to be a little bit more to that and I, and that's what fascinates me now, even in, in society, because you listen to a lot of people think, and there's a there's a credibility and a you know a seal of approval given to them based on the fact that they did something a long time ago, not actually on the quality of what they say. Yeah, it's it's punditry's obvious. a perfect example of that. I mean, we like operate, we operate, we operate, we operate. I thought. Um, Graham Potter did a fabulous interview at Brighton a few weeks before he left to go to Chelsea and he was asked a question about their home form and his response was that's such a low low resolution question and I thought it was fabulous because again we operate on the premise of such a lowest common denominator that here was somebody that had the ability that if someone was going to ask him a serious question he would have been happy to engage with it but the simple fact is that we're operating at such a level That's such low resolution that there is no stimulation or challenge in that. And it's become acceptable. That's been gone
0: for a long while though, you know, and it's that Yeah, absolutely.
1: But I'm saying that's why it's, it's, that's what, what what needs to change. And, and, And unfortunately at the moment, that's not the case, but that's what even any opportunity to speak to people like yourself or people of a like mind, the system needs to be shaken up a little bit. And unfortunately, we're out of balance at the moment.
0: That was something I was going to ask. I mean, if you zoom out now and take the forty thousand feet view of football as a whole, football as an industry, I mean, is it a case of changing a game or just get better at playing the current game by the rules?
1: Well, there's a challenge for everybody in that, isn't there? Because that comes down to you as an individual if you're capable of operating within that system. So, if you if you have a very very value value based system there's not many environments that are going to help you survive and thrive it doesn't it doesn't exist because there's such a short-term element to that and as I say not best practice in many ways but the point is you laminate something or you say somebody in football is doing something and automatically there's a perceived credibility around that which is not necessarily the case so sometimes you have to scratch below the surface and do a bit more due diligence with regard to understanding that and I think if you understand that then you can be a bit more objective as to where you feel is the place for you and like it's a war of attrition isn't it because again you talk about stepping into the game as a young coach an analyst or whatever you look at remuneration you look at the challenge you look at the hours you look at how you're treated people will do that for a limited time because they think that this is only a stepping stone until a better step, but that better step may never come.
0: Yeah. how how. So it's the
1: aspirational uh, element, Connor. It's the aspirational element that everybody wants to be at the top, but it takes time. It takes resilience. It's not necessarily easy. There's so many factors go into whether that's actually going to be the case or not, that it can be incredibly disillusioning for people.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, it's always an interesting one. One of the best quotes I've heard for a long while, Garrett, has been, how far are you willing to prostitute yourself to have an opinion?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, but, but equally, this is the thing about the law to some degree, Connor, is that who are you willing to open up your real opinion to? So again, are you willing to compromise your own personal value structure just to exist in what is perceived to be the utopian industry and it's not necessarily the case so we all have decisions to make at different times with regards to that and again I think that's where it's interesting because you would look at it I would look at it now more objectively with regards to being incredibly strategic about what you want to achieve and how you go about doing that and that's that's kind of part of the challenge for everybody as well is that you know it it, you might have to kiss a lot of frogs before you find a princess do you know what I mean but then it still comes back to your individual resilience are you prepared to continue to go back to the well or will you make a decision that this this is either good or bad for me so again not a lot of people have that um you know option because they're they're heavily embedded in it and, and it, like I said earlier they're even irrespective of the level you're at your identity is associated with that. So it's fascinating. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me. And I think you, you look at management, you look at coaching, the more beholden you are to football, the more likely you are to get your ass kicked.
0: It is. And one thing which you've mentioned countless times in this podcast already being another, probably one of the most, if not the key factor in any sort of success is surrounding yourself with the correct people in the correct environment. And that's something which you seem to have achieved anyways, at least by doing the UA for master's. Can you tell us a bit more about that program and how much that impacted you as an individual, Gareth?
1: Well, the, the, the MIP program was, was, was incredible for me because, again, in returning to education, you do your LLB legal degree, right? And then you think, well, I've enjoyed that. You do your training contract, you qualify as a lawyer and you think, well, what comes next? So I'm interested in doing a master's. And then, obviously, somebody made me aware of the UEFA MIP course. It was actually an Irish guy, Connor. I don't know if you know Paddy McCormack, who's the head of the judicial services at the FA. He's a brilliant guy, right? Used to work at the FAI. And it was him who actually said, have you seen this course? So, obviously, course for former internationals who are starting to transition, um, masters in the administration and management of football, and I was fortunate. I did an interview, and then I got onto the the second cohort, we're actually on the fourth cohort now. But the group that I was a part of were incredible because, again, not another buzzword, but you return to something where there was an incredible honesty from the outset. Yeah. Different people were at different stages of their transition, and you're being honest. Having been, I say, a competitor or a player for so many years, that people are turning around and saying. I don't know what I want to do, or I want to do this, but I don't know how to get there. And I think we all developed massively through the 20 months of the course. The course content was excellent, as were the speakers and the people that ran the course. So that just kind of, again, further embedded that desire to continue learning. So, Not only do you have the course, the content part and kind of enrichment with that and a desire to continue to learn, but then you also have relationships and kind of the respect you build up for the people that are on the course. Because again, sometimes there's a very, very narrow view of you've played in the UK, this is what happens. And you don't necessarily have an understanding of what South America was like for people moving from there or people who played in Greece or people who played in Northern Europe and the crazy part that everybody had experienced very very similar uh you know experiences so it was it, it was it was it was really really um what's the best word to say it? just a fabulous experience
0: project in sense making
1: yes and
0: i mean one of the most fascinating things for me at least, which stemmed from that direct experience, was that you and the cohort of your individuals formed player for player. Can you tell me or can you allude to the audience how that came about and what you guys do at player for player?
1: In its simplest form, it was you're sat around with a group of friends and you've obviously identified certain issues that you perceive go on within the game. And transition is a key one. And not only transition, you can talk about a whole host of challenges that come within that when to start thinking about transition what does that look like and again you kind of return to individual stories that like like um i'm not saying normal civil life but i'm saying people will work incredibly hard all their lives on a utopian picture that when they finish they're going to play golf or they're going to buy a yacht or they're going to live on a paradise island and then within a very very short time of that retirement they start thinking well hang on this isn't what i'd built it up to be And this comes back to the football challenge again, is that you can have a huge amount of financial resources when you retire, or you can have very, very little, but it's indiscriminate because the challenges with regard to that retirement are going to be the same. You know, everybody speaks in detail about statistics at different times. And a lot of figures are banded about, but if you look as an example, that 40% of professional footballers face the threat of bankruptcy within 5 years of retiring a third of footballers are divorced within 12 months of retiring the other statistic that used to be really really difficult was that over a third have mental health issues when they retire and that's increasing now because again you're dealing with issues around addiction you know betting different challenges that people face to try and replace that buzz they had when they when they played So these were all conversations we had and player for player was born out of that. So a trusted, safe space where if people wanted to talk freely about where they were up to and what they were interested in doing, then that, that was kind of where player for player started. And again, it's kind of, it's evolved and it's kind of 18, 20 months now, but that's, that's that's the reason it was done.
0: It's absolutely fascinating to see just how an idea can spring to life in the case of a live case study such yeah. as that.
1: Yeah, but Connor, like there's there's brilliant support out there. The player unions do lots of interesting stuff, but you live or die by the quality of that engagement with that person at a given time. So mm. you might be very, very vulnerable, unsure of what comes next, and you build yourself up to make that phone call to somebody. And dependent on that interaction will determine whether you're going to push ahead with something or not, because you don't know the day the person's having who's receiving the call. You don't know if they've walked that same walk as you or when they did it. There's a whole host of factors that can go into that. And I think that player for player has kind of been uniquely placed with regards to that.
0: Of course. And so I, think, I think it will
1: evolve, so- Connor. It will evolve because it's been quite funny, because with regards to kind of transition and players it's been um, slower than you might have anticipated. But what we have found is that people are invariably saying now, well, can you not just look after us as an agency? I I love what you do. We've never had a conversation with anybody that has any negativity around player for player, but player for player's evolution will continue anyway as well. Because the value when you've been a player or the value when you care or the value comes, you know, when you help people is that, That's where you kind of get your buzz
0: yeah and that's where the trust is in built
1: absolutely but also in a footballing context i think it's one of the things that's really really interesting now is how people perceive or calculate how you add value that irrespective of the madness of the game now fundamentally performance determines value i think
0: it's very important though to highlight as well that you can be principled and you can be moral then you can succeed
1: yeah and but it's difficult
0: <laughs> i don't doubt that for two
1: seconds <laughs> very 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 difficult and and again it's uh, it takes it takes a lot of energy in a different way really
0: i mean overall again Garrett, looking at the bigger picture i mean how do you see the industry of football evolving and where in the future do you see yourself within it
1: uh, well, you see, the thing for me is football for me is at the moment is, is in danger because I think what's, what's happened is that you, you see, there's, there's a difficulty and there's a challenge in words always when you speak to people and interpretation and like somebody, I may say something now that people won't listen to the 40 minutes of yeah. conversation we've had before this, that they take a particular fact. But the point is for me is that non-footballing people are now embedded in the game and have infiltrated the game to such a level that they see it differently. So it's purely commercial exercise or an entity or people who have managed to find their way into the game just for personal gain. And I think that's really, really dangerous. And I think that the pace at which football moves, you never really get to the bottom of one particular issue before another issue develops. So you look at the challenges that football has faced around COVID. You look at how revenue has consistently increased, but there's never been greater losses. You look at different challenges around competitive balance, access to competition, the threat of super leagues, ownership models. And in returning to lockdown, you look at player activism. So I think one of the big things for me always is that you need an educated, empowered player base that will be intrinsically involved in the decision-making of the future of the game because they care about the game. And I think that's something that is growing now with regards to the player activism piece, but we have to continue to identify those thought leaders and those people that will be instrumental in that because the game is the game. The game doesn't change. You know what I mean? You can put cliche around it, but that's that's the fact. But the reality is that football faces incredible challenges. It has done, and now even even more so.
0: It's absolutely incredible and enlightening to hear Gareth and to discuss more about your journey today to hear about what you're doing, you know, regarding player for player. But as we bring this podcast to a close, I mean, for anyone who's going to get into this industry, you know, be it in the legal side, be it from a footballing background, coaching, I mean, what advice? would you have them?
1: No, well, the advice is to be strategic and to take your time and to develop your knowledge and look to develop. Everybody speaks about networks or contacts, but fundamentally there's, there has to be a lot of thought goes into that. It's no different to the law. It's no different to, to anything. There has to be a degree of application and care and hard work with regards to understanding how challenging it can be. Like in many ways, football has become a bit like gold prospecting. If you look at, agency or you look at different things that there's a perception that you step in and the golden goose will immediately present itself it's an incredibly competitive challenging environment and that's from playing right the way through to management coaching everybody wants to be a part of it so I think identifying people that you feel will bring value to you and help you filter that noise and start to identify and develop a strategy but you don't arrive with all of the answers it's part of the, the challenge is that you have to have a degree of that lived experience good and bad and then take the positive from that and be able you know be able to develop further having learned different lessons to take you where you ultimately want to get to with regards to me i always laugh at that connor it's like a legal question people would always say where do you see yourself in five years and like my 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 counter argument was having thought I was going to be dead at 32, you you kind of, you know, it's more glib to say, well, hang on a second here. Five years is quite a long time. Hopefully I will be here. Where I will be. You don't know. We, we all, um, crave, you know, purpose. And like we all crave like that, that challenge and an opportunity to, to build things. And that's, I'm no different in that respect. As I say, it's, I never envisaged a time where I would be a a qualified solicitor. And like when I come up to January next year, that'll be five years. I would have never envisaged that. I think I've been incredibly fortunate because opportunities present themselves and continue to present themselves. And again, I'm happy to tell you, obviously, with regards to the podcast, but even with regard to education, that journey doesn't stop. I've just, you know, been offered like a fellowship with Harvard that I'll be starting in the new year. So, again, that's something that, like, I'm really, really excited about. It's
0: the journey with the immortal finish line. No destination. Absolutely. No yeah. destination inside. Yeah. But, um, Gareth, look, I asked that question 82 times before. <laughs> I'll have to rethink my life choices now going forward. But um, I've really enjoyed these last 40 minutes or so. I think there's a lot of value to be ascertained from anyone listening to this podcast, not only from a playing, coaching legal background from anyone from all walks of life, because in reality, that's what we're here, here to take on these direct experiences as you speak, you know, seek out people, seek out new environments and sense-make it all. And as you said, as, as long as you can keep playing that game with no finish line in sight, we're not doing too bad, are we?
1: No, absolutely. But like you say, people, again, we talk about presence, but I think in being present and then having that space, those people will present themselves and you might be ready to engage with them. Whereas if you're not present, if you're distracted, if you're on a different path, the, pre- the people may have been there, but it may not necessarily have been the right time for you.
0: Gareth, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on.
1: No, thank you. Great
0: to speak to you.